Let's pray again for the children as they head out and for ourselves that we might be those who can hear God speak to us this morning as we open up His Word, the Bible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for uh, these children, uh, part of our church, and we, uh, we thank You for each of them. We pray that as they go to their Sunday school classes, and we pray that throughout the week, through um, all the times when they will hear You speak to them through Your Word, we pray that You would, you would strengthen them in faith, give them faith, uh, grow them in faith, and we pray that they would be fruitful branches connected to the vine, the Lord Jesus Christ, and serve Him and be fruitful for Him all their days. Pray for us now as we turn to Your Word. Give us ears to hear. Give us soft hearts that is willing to hear and accept what You say. Challenge us. Encourage us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How do we enter the kingdom of God? How do we enter the kingdom of God? I imagine that's a question that most of us would find fairly easy to answer. We would say, how do you, how do you enter the kingdom of God? You've got to believe in Jesus. Um, but what is belief in Jesus? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Uh, one lunchtime this week, I was in the car and I was listening to Jeremy Vine on Radio 2. And the topic of conversation was the census results from England and Wales. Maybe you saw them in the news, the census results, um, where the number of people who call themselves Christians has dropped from 59% in 2011 to 46% in 2021. And two people who had ticked Christian on the census uh, phoned in uh, to talk about their experience. Uh, there was Caroline from Devon, she talked about growing up with Christian values. She said, I'm not a churchy person. I don't go apart from weddings and funerals. Uh, but she spoke positively of primary school and hymn practice on Wednesdays and assemblies on Thursdays. Um, she was sad that a lot of kids these days don't know the Lord's Prayer and was saying how we need to bring back basic Christian teaching. Is that what it means to believe? Then there was Kirsty uh, from London. Uh, she told how she went to uh, a church school and grew up with a vague cultural belief, but then told how during lockdown she started to ask questions. Uh, she started to visit a church online, and when the churches reopened, went along in person. And she said, I came to faith, and it's changed my life, and it's wonderful. I got baptized, the full dunk, she said. And then just at the end of the conversation, just as Jeremy Vine was moving on to the next topic, she says, and I just want to say more th one more thing. I would, I would just recommend anyone listening to explore it for themselves, to look into it for themselves. Is that what it means to believe? What is belief in Jesus? To enter the kingdom of God, we've got to believe, but what is belief? Is it ticking Christian on the census and going to a Christian school and knowing the Lord's Prayer? Is it nostalgia for hymn practice? Is it a recognition that Christian Christianity is a, is a good thing for society? Or is it something else altogether? Or to put it another way, what kind of belief do I need to have to enter the kingdom of God? Well, that's the question that I think this part of John's gospel answers for us. 
in these verses, we see two kinds of faith, two kinds of belief. We see false faith, a false belief, inadequate belief, and we see true belief, true faith, saving faith. And John shows us what these two kinds of belief, false belief and true belief, what they mean, so that we might be those who embrace true faith and so see and enter the kingdom of God. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to explore these two kinds of faith. Firstly, false faith. Jesus had been ministering in Jerusalem, performing lots of miraculous signs. And in verse 23 of of chapter 2, we're told the result of it all. And it really does sound very, very encouraging. Verse 23, while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his names, in his name. They saw what Jesus was doing. They believed that these signs were genuine miracles. So these people wouldn't just have ticked believe or just take Christian on the census. If you'd surveyed them after that, they'd have said, and you asked them, you know, do you believe that Jesus really turned water into wine and really did these miraculous signs? They would have said, yes, I really believe that he did these things. So it all sounds very, very encouraging. And yet, in verse 24, we find that Jesus isn't smiling or celebrating their faith. Why not? Well, John tells us in verse 24, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. So to the casual observer, here was a time of significant church growth, people trusting in Jesus, becoming believers. But to Jesus, their belief was just surface level, inadequate. He knew what was going on inside. And so whilst they spoke of entrusting themselves to him, Jesus was not prepared to entrust himself to them. Because according to Jesus, their faith, in some sense it was false faith, inadequate, defective, lacking in some crucial way. And we're going to come back in a moment to see what that was. Now, as we move into chapter 3 and meet this Pharisee, this man Nicodemus, John hints very strongly to us that he too shared their false faith. I want to just read to you verses uh, 224 to 3 verse 1 in the English Standard Version. It's a, it's a more uh, literal uh, translation um, than the, the NIV, which I normally use. Um, we are just blessed to have so many different translations in our language. They don't compete against each other. They really help us. Um, but let me just read from the English Standard Version and just see if you can pick up what John is implying here about Nicodemus. Verse 24, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man, 
Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Did you hear it? He knew it was in man. He didn't need testimony about man. Now, here's a man named Nicodemus. John is saying of Nicodemus, he's just like the others. Part of that camp of people who had seen Jesus' signs, who had believed, but only at surface level. I think you also see that from the fact that Nicodemus comes to see Jesus at night. We're told that in verse 2. At nighttime in John's gospel is really significant. It's symbolic of moral, spiritual darkness. So, for example, in John 13, um, after Judas, after they celebrate the Lord's Supper, and Judas leaves to go and betray Jesus, how does John describe it? 13 verse 30, as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and John adds, and it was night. The darkness of that night mirroring the darkness of what Judas was about to do, the evil he was about to commit. And here too, John tells us that, that Nicodemus came to see Jesus at night, not just because that's when he came, but also because the nighttime reflected also the darkness, uh, the moral nighttime in his heart. Nicodemus too shared their false faith. And so as we think about this and as we think about it for ourselves, we've got to ask the question, well, what was lacking? What was lacking with Nicodemus's faith? What was lacking with these other people who believed um, and yet whose faith was inadequate? Why wouldn't Jesus entrust himself to them? And I've got to say that this is a question that I've been kind of wrestling with this week. And I think there are two elements to it. Firstly, Nicodemus didn't fully get who Jesus is. He didn't fully get who Jesus is. His understanding of Jesus' identity was defective. So, if you remember back in chapter 1, Nathaniel uh, said of Jesus, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Here, Nicodemus just calls Jesus Rabbi, full stop, teacher. That's respectful, and that's true, but it's not nearly enough. Jesus is far, far more than a religious teacher. Or in chapter 1, John speaks of Jesus as the Word who was with God and was God in the beginning. Here, Nicodemus speaks of Jesus as being from God, empowered by God, which again, that is right and that's true, but it's just not enough. Jesus is far more than just a spiritual man sent from God. He is God. So for Nicodemus, at least, his, his faith is inadequate. His faith is false, in part because he doesn't fully get who Jesus is. And I think that's just really important for us to see I guess a lot of people in our culture would have a positive view of Jesus. From the Muslim friend who sees Jesus as a prophet, or the man in the street who thinks of Jesus as a good example, someone we should follow and try to emulate. Jesus says that kind of belief isn't enough. It's inadequate. C.S. Lewis, uh, in Mere Christianity, 
uh, speaks about whether Jesus is mad, bad, or God. You may well know what he says. Given Jesus' claim to be the Son of God, either he's mad, Lewis says, uh, a lunatic on the level of the man who says he's a poached egg, either he's mad, or bad, he says either he's he's the devil of hell trying to deceive, or he's God, he is who he claims to be. And Lewis says, those are your options. And then he adds, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about Jesus being a great human teacher. He hasn't left that open to us. He didn't intend to. That view of Jesus is false faith, inadequate faith. It is not true faith. Again, uh, people today sometimes say, look, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what you believe, only that you believe. But again, from what Jesus says here, that, that's, just, that's just patently wrong, isn't it? Completely wrong. Now, Nicodemus's faith, it's inadequate because he doesn't fully get who Jesus is. We're seeing here that true belief isn't just vague belief in God, and let's leave it at that. In the words of John's gospel, It is belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So his faith is inadequate because he doesn't fully get who Jesus is. But there's another element as well to Nicodemus and this people's false faith. And that that was that their faith was surface level. It was outward, but not inward. It had an outward form to it, but no inner reality. To put it another way, there was no inward cleansing or renewal. So again, verse 24, Jesus wouldn't entrust himself to them. Why? For he knew what was in each person. Jesus could see through the facade of their heart to their heart. He could see inside and could see that something crucial was lacking Anytime I've, I've had to buy a used car, I've always wished that I were a mechanic. Because um, I go along and you see these cars in the forecourt and all of them have been cleaned and hoovered and they look nice from the outside. But of course, I don't have much of an idea as to what's going on underneath the bonnet. I don't have that level of knowledge. And so, of course, you run the risk of ending up with a dud. But of course, a mechanic, well, a mechanic knows cars inside out. They can look and see what's really going on with the car underneath the bonnet and see whether it's mechanically sound and healthy or really not. And likewise here, Jesus sees underneath our bonnet. He knows us inside out. He sees what's really going on, whether faith, our faith is just surface level or there's an inward reality to it. And as for these people, having seen what's under their bonnet, it's as if Jesus hands back the keys and says, I'm not prepared to buy. I'm not prepared to buy. False faith. Surface level faith. Not fully getting who Jesus is. Surface level only. But then we also need to think for a few minutes about true faith. Not just what faith isn't, but what faith, true faith is. They say that people whose job it is to uh, spot fraudulent banknotes 
spend their time examining and familiarizing themselves with the real thing, with real, genuine banknotes, knowing the feel of them, the shape, the, the details, so that they can then spot the fake. And that's what we're going to do now for a few minutes, allowing Jesus to familiarize us, familiarize us with true faith, real faith, saving faith. That really is the issue that uh, Jesus wants to impress on Nicodemus. Do you know, in this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus, uh, Nicodemus doesn't even get a chance to ask his question before Jesus comes in and just goes straight to the point. Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replies before he's even got a chance to ask, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. He says the same thing in verse 5, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. And again in verse 7, you must be born again. What's Jesus talking about here? Well, to be born again, uh, to be born of water and the Spirit, verse 5, to be born of the Spirit, verse 8. There are three ways of speaking of the same thing. What is that same thing, that one thing that these three things mean? Well, Jesus is, pick, is picking up here on one of God's promises in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. Let me just read out those few verses and just listen in these verses for ideas of water and spirit and new life. So this is what God had promised as he looked forward to the coming of Christ. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. You see, to be born again, to be born of water and the Spirit, to be born of the Spirit, it means to be cleansed by God and to be given a new heart, to be made a new person, to be given God's Spirit to dwell in us, God's inner cleansing and transformation. In other words, true faith recognizes that we're spiritually dirty that our sin has made us unclean, that by nature we cannot enter the kingdom of God. True faith recognizes that and accepts from God inner cleansing through Christ. In that sense, true faith checks itself into God's surgery. It signs itself up for a heart transplant from God, where God takes out our old heart of stone, which was dead to God, and puts in a new heart of flesh, willing and eager to obey God, and receives new spiritual life, such that someone can say, I'm a new person. My old life, that is gone. I am a new creation. The new has come. It's like I've been born a second time. Jesus says, that is true faith. That is saving faith that will see someone enter the kingdom of God. Not just thinking highly of Jesus, but seeing him as the Christ, the Son of God, 
not just going through the motions or ticking Christian on the census or trying to keep up with Christian morals, but being born again, receiving inner cleansing and renewal through faith in Christ. And just to be crystal, crystal clear, Jesus says very, very clearly, unless that is us, Jesus says, you cannot see, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. It is not an optional extra to be born again. It is absolutely essential. Without it, we cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. Well, three short lessons for us as we close. Uh, firstly, to those of us who, who, who do believe in Christ, I think this calls on us to thank God for new birth. Um, God willing, over the next few weeks, we're going to be congratulating some new parents here at, at church. Um, we might get to see uh, some new babies, and we may coo over, coo over them. We might give them gifts. We'll certainly pray for them. But we're not going to be congratulating these new babies. Uh, we won't be saying, oh, well done, little guy, on being born. Because, of course, being born is just what happens to you. No, it's the mother who's gone through labor. It's, it's the midwives who've, who've rallied round her. That's who we congratulate, the father. The baby just gets born. They've no say in the matter. They can't take any credit. And likewise, for us who have been reborn, we can't take credit for having been cleansed and renewed and given new spiritual life. We thank God because He is the one who's made it happen. We've been born again through God. So we're to thank God. Secondly, for us who believe, I think this calls on us to prioritize heart health. You know, I think so much uh, these days is focused on uh, heart health, um, and that's a good thing. So my watch, for example, it tells me my heart rate. It tells me my variable heart rate. I don't quite know what that means, but it warns me if there's problems. It gives me a score as to how healthy my heart is and gives me prompts to uh, make sure I'm eating the right thing, to make sure that I'm developing the heart muscle. Um, well, likewise, as those who've, who've been given new hearts, we would do well to prioritize the health of our hearts, uh, to pay attention to what's going on, not just on the surface, but inside, to be attuned to our motives and not just our actions, to be prepared to ask God for His ongoing renewal of our hearts, to feed our hearts with truth. We thank God we cultivate and prioritize heart health, having been given new hearts. And then finally, I guess maybe for, maybe for any who, here who, yeah, maybe even in the last census, you would have ticked Christian, but really that's the extent of faith. I want to encourage you strongly to ask God for rebirth to be born again, if you like, to do what Nicodemus did. For Nicodemus, in that conversation, initially, he responded with scorn. What are you talking about, Jesus? Being, can I, someone go back into mother's, what are you talking about? This scorn. 
But actually, when you trace the story of Nicodemus through John's gospel, you see that by the end, he's bearing the marks of a true believer, standing up for Jesus, and after Jesus' death, burying Jesus' body with Joseph of Arimathea. And so I guess for you, if that is you, and you think, yeah, you know, I, would, I would tick Christian on the census, but really that's it. Will you follow the path that Nicodemus walked? Will you invite God to give you a new heart, to cleanse you inside, to renew you, to give you new spiritual life, so that you too might be able to see and enter the kingdom of God? Unless you are born again, Jesus says, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Invite God to let you be born again. Let's pray.